Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. First Samuel 30, I'm reading from the New King James Version today. We're still in the middle of our David, David series. I read. So the Bible says this, that now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone. They did not kill anyone. They did not kill anyone. That's important. Remember that. But they carried them away and they went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Verse 7 says that, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Bring, please, bring the effort to me. And Abiathar brought the effort to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? What a man. Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Pursue, for you shall surely, surely, that's a guarantee there, overtake them. And another guarantee is without fail, undoubtedly, recover everything. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary <laughs> that they could not cross the brook Besor. They were so weary that they could not cross the brook. I want us to jump to verse number 18, same chapter of First Samuel 18. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, nothing, either great or small, sons or daughters, spoil, or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. David recovered all. Oh, the title of our conversation this morning is God will restore. God will restore. God 
not may, not will think about it, not will consider strongly, he will. Come on now, he will restore. God will, can you just say that? God will, come on, restore. If you believe it, say it with me. God, you have to say it until you believe it. God will, will surely restore. The world where we are, where we live right now, where we find ourselves as a people is a place we've never been before. No one alive today, very few people alive today have ever been where we are today. Actually, I don't think anyone has ever been where we are today. There is a unique mix of situations, of events that we are experiencing in the world that makes it unprecedented. That's just the term to describe it. This is not a cliche anymore. This is truly unprecedented. All right. And because of the season and the times where we are in with COVID-19, with Black Lives Matter and racial injustice, you know, with violence in the world and depravity in the world, it is very likely, very possible, probably, that you've lost something. Coronavirus came and set people back months. People had plans for 2020, all kinds of dreams that you penned down. In 2020, I will do this. I'll graduate from university. I'll get a dream job. I'll meet my dream girl, my dream guy. I'll get married. All right, I'll get a promotion at work. All right, in this year, I will do more evangelism than I've ever done before. But then you've been locked down and all the evangelism you've been able to do has been online. It's likely that you've lost something. People have lost jobs, lost incomes. People have lost even family during this time. All right, people have lost, not just physically lost family, but also even the sanctity of their home. I've been reading that marriages are crumbling more than ever. There's physical abuse now prevailing in homes because people just don't know what to do with each other when you've been locked in with someone that you haven't been locked in with for so long and it's a bit of a problem. It's not unlikely that you've lost something, either as a result of COVID-19, as a result of the attack of the enemy, or as a result of a number of other things. But God will restore. It's a prophetic word. God is saying to us that he will, he will restore what has been lost. So let's go academic and then we go spiritual in a second. What does restore mean? All right. And I took these definitions off of Google. Okay. So you can find these on Google. One of the definitions is to bring back a former original or normal condition. To bring back a former condition, a normal, what is considered to be a normal condition. You would agree with me that right now, this is not normal. These ain't normal folks. This is crazy times. All right. To restore, to bring back to bring back to a former original or normal condition, such as a building, a statute, or a painting, you can restore. Another definition says to bring back to a state of health or soundness or vigor, to bring back, keyword, bring back. Another, another, another definition says to put back to a former place. So if I take something from here and place it somewhere else, I can restore the location by taking it and placing it back where it was or to a former position or rank, all right? A former rank or a former position. If you're demoted at work, you can be restored to a position of rank, all right? Another definition says to give back, all right? Or to make return or restitution of anything taken away or lost. So you keep seeing that word back, 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 back. Keep, 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 just keep that in heart, at your, in your heart. Back, 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 to restore, to bring back, to give back. All right, to take back, restore, to take back. 
and we lose many things that need restoration. All right, many things. You can lose your health. You were healthy as a horse. All of a sudden, you're falling into a pattern and a cycle of sickness. Then your health needs to be restored. Your marriage is happy and all of a sudden, you guys are fighting like cats and dogs. Well, guess what? Your marriage needs to be restored. You can lose money and your wealth needs to be restored. You might lose a job and you need restoration. All right, you can lose, you can lose relationships that need restoration. You might even be, you know, father, daughter, you know, mom, son, parent, children relationship that need restoration. All right. You might have suffered a, a career setback, a setback in your career and you need restoration. You might have lost some time in life. You lost some time to a season of life and you need restoration. Guess what? You can even lose spiritual things. You might have had some spiritual gifts in the past. You realize that God used to reveal things to you. You've lost that. You're in need of restoration. You might have had a unique anointing on your life, a unique dimension of God that God expressed through you that is no longer there for any number of reasons. You need restoration. You can need your peace restored or even your joy. If you don't think that joy is an asset, wait until you lose your joy. You will never know the value of joy until you lose it, until you lose it. All right. You can need even your intimacy with God and with the Holy Spirit restored. So there are a number of things that we could have lost for any number of reasons, all right, whether due to physical circumstances, due to spiritual circumstances, an attack of the enemy, or anything like that, that require restoration, that require restoration. But I want to expand, all right, the definition in our minds. Just stay with me. I want to expand this and make it really touch areas that we don't usually look at or we're usually not thinking about and say to you that restoration also covers things that have been allocated to you but were never really possessed by you. Let me say that again. You can require restoration from things that were allocated to you but never really in your possession. So this was an allocation by God. There are certain things in destiny against your name. There are certain things in destiny against your name that you should have, but you don't have yet. So it's not just the, the loss of something that was in your hands, and then you cry, restore, bring back what was taken from me or what I used to have before, but there are things that were never in your hands, but God intended for you all the while, all the while, but were never really in your possession and you might need restoration from those things. So it's easy to agitate, all right, and to get upset and to get weary about things that were taken from you. It's easier because you can relate. Something was in your possession and it's no longer in your possession. You feel violated because you were dispossessed of something. It's easier to be agitated about that, but we miss a huge part of restoration, which are things that we should have had but we never got to have, and we need God to restore to us those things. Let me give you an example. An example, okay? Let's assume, let's assume that you go spend the night in an Airbnb, all right? And while you're there, your Converse shoe gets stolen. Let's just assume, this will never happen, but let's just assume it happens to someone, all right? The person is so unfortunate that a pair of sneakers that they love so much gets stolen at an Airbnb. Now, you know you had that pair of sneakers, 
but it's been taken from you. You feel violated, you feel dispossessed, you can seek restoration. Now, that's obvious. However, let's assume that a friend, a friend of yours went to a store, saw a pair of shoes that you'd like, Converse shoes that you'd like, white, all right, all right, and, and the person bought it for you because it's your friend, paid for the shoes and told the, and told the storekeeper or the owner of the store, whoever was at the till, and said, you know what, my friend is going to come around this mall sometime next week. When you see the dude, give him these shoes because I have paid for it. It's for him. It's a gift in his hand for him. Now, if the storekeeper never gives you the shoes that were bought for you, and your friend never told you that those shoes were meant for you, you've lost something without knowing. And that's where it gets dangerous. That's where many things that are put, you know, that the Lord Almighty, that God had purchased on your behalf, blood bought by the blood of Jesus, that we have not seen the manifestation in our lives. We need restoration of those things. Whenever there is a disconnect between the promises of God and the reality in our lives, we need restoration. Because you see, God is not a man. Numbers 23 and verse 19 says that God is not a man. Pay attention to this because this is important. And why, why this is important is because the Bible says when God speaks, he does not lie. He's not a man, so he does not need to lie. He does not need to lie. So if God says to you, I'm making you a promise, the promise of God is as good as an asset in your hands. If I promised you a thousand dollars, actually you know what? If I promised you $10 million, come and see me in my office next week. I'm going to give you $10 million. Now, if you came to my office and for any reason, my assistant said to you, well, um, no, the meeting has been canceled. Pastors canceled the meeting. You're not going to be as de depressed or sad because first and foremost, you weren't sure that I had the capacity to give you $10 million yet, yet. Okay. <laughs> but if one of my friends like Jeff, for example, um, Jeff, if he promises you $10 million and he, you, he cancels that meeting, you feel sad and depressed. The reason why is because you know that that person has the capacity to deliver what was promised. And so therefore with every promise of God, that is not a reality in our lives. It's not because God doesn't have the capacity. It's not because it's not being bought with the blood of Jesus. It's because it's being taken from us. All right. And we need restoration. We need restoration, whether we know it or not. The Bible tells us of the story of a guy called Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. I think you find his story in 2 Samuel, probably chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. All right. I'm not sure, but I think so. And the story of Mephibosheth is that Jonathan and David had a covenant that David, when he became king, will show kindness to every of the descendants of Jonathan. Now, there was only one left. His name was Mephibosheth. He was lame at his feet. He couldn't walk. He was crippled. And he was staying in a place called Lodibar. And David had been king for some years. And all of a sudden, David remembered the covenant, the promise that he and Jonathan had that they made to one another, to each other rather. And he goes, he sends for Mephibosheth, brings him to the palace, says continually, you will eat bread at my table, restores to him the lands of, the, of his father and his grandfather and so on and so forth. But this dude had no clue. As a matter of fact, he called himself a dog. Because he had no clue that there were certain transactions that had gone on on his behalf without his knowledge. And so while David was performing, was making good on the covenant, was restoring to Mephibosheth things that he never knew, had no clue that were meant for him. So my question is, 
I wonder how many things that are meant for you that have never crossed your hands but have been taken from you. And because you never knew, because you were incognizant, because those things were not on your radar, you are not weary, you are not crying out like David cried out here. You are not bothered by it because you never really held those things in your hands. Those things are just as valuable as the things that were taken from you. And those are the dangerous places because not many, if any at all, can say, I have everything that God has for me in life. Every single thing that God would have me possess in this season, spiritual, physical, and, and emotional, I have all of it. Very few people can say that. That means that we are in need of restoration. Can I go into this text? And let's try to give this text some life today. What happens in the text we read in 1 Samuel chapter 30 is that David and his guys had just come back from a battle, kind of a battle. And they got to a place called Ziklag, which is where he and his entire band of 600 men and their families stayed. But because when they went to war, huh, they left Ziklag unguarded. The entire 600 of them went to war. It exposed the home front to the enemy. And then the enemy comes in, takes the wives and the children, burns the city to the ground, takes all their possession away. So they come back to the burnt remains of the town. And the Bible says that David and his guys break down. David, the strong man who killed Goliath, a giant slayer, and his band of assassins, they break down and cry. The Bible says they cry until they have no more power to weep because it's unlikely that their family was still alive. It was just not likely. The city was burned down. All they could see was the ashes and the smoke the remains of the city that was once their home and they're overwhelmed by what has happened. But the Bible tells us something important that this happens because the Amalekites came and raided the land. Amalekites. Now, let me talk to you about the Amalekites for a minute because the Amalekites, if you look, if you read the Bible, and I said this to us all the time just so that we understand, when we read the, the Old Testament, we have to understand the New Testament representation of some of the things we see, symbolisms that we see in the Old Testament. The Amalekites is representative of the flesh or of the enemy, of Satan. Because the Bible tells us that when the children of Israel leave Egypt, they cross the Red Sea and they head into the Promised Land, that the people of Amalek come and ambush them, catch them by surprise and start a battle with them that they never initiated. And because of this reason, God says that for Ever, the people of Amalek will be destroyed. Just like the flesh. The Bible says that the spirit and the flesh, there's enmity between spirit and the flesh, and the flesh by all means must completely, pay attention, completely dominate your flesh for you to live a victorious Christian life. But the flesh is very resilient. It always creeps up. and always raises its ugly head over and over again, just like the people of Amalek. And you have to understand that God said clearly, the people of Amalek must be completely wiped out. As a matter of fact, this is one of the two reasons why Saul would lose his, his throne. Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Because the Bible says to us in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, all right, God said to Saul, go to Amalek. 1 Samuel 15, let's read verse number 2 and 3. The Bible says, thus says the Lord of hosts. God is talking to Saul, who was the first king of Israel now. 
I will punish, 1 Samuel 15, 2, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came from Egypt, the first battle that they ever fought after they left the promised land and Pharaoh and his host were drowned in the sea was against Amalek. The Bible says, now go and attack Amalek and not only attack them, utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infants, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, donkey, kill everything. God said in Amalek. Now it looks a bit brutal, but you have to understand that Amalek was symbolic of something. It's the flesh. You don't manage the flesh. You have to subdue it completely. You don't manage with the enemy. You don't play roommates with the enemy and say, this is how far you go. I said to you last week that sin has no boundaries. All right. You have to dominate completely. And so God says, wipe them out. This is first Samuel chapter 15. Saul goes there and he does not do what the Lord had asked him to do. He spared some of the people. And the reason why the people of Amalek could come back in 1 Samuel chapter 30, 15 chapters later, and be a thorn in the side of David was because Saul disobeyed. Was because Saul disobeyed. Amalek is a type of the flesh and the enemy. You must utterly destroy them. So guess what? One of the reasons why we suffer loss, okay, I'm teaching now, is because the enemy comes for you. Yeah. The enemy comes for you. Pay attention. Pay attention what I'm about to say to you. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, Hebrews 11 and verse 3, the Bible says, by faith, we understand that the worlds, plural, were framed, <laughs> framed by the word of God. Pay attention. The worlds were framed, framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made from things which are visible. Let me read to you in the Passion Translation what I just said. Hebrews 11 and verse 3. The Bible says, Faith empowers us to see that the universe, everything you see, was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. So God's words created everything you see. Ha. He spoke and the invisible realm, never forget what I'm about to say to you now. The invisible realm gave birth to all that is sin. The invisible realm, the realm that is not seen, birthed everything that is seen. That says to me that the unseen world, the spiritual world is the parent of the physical world. Stay with me, just stay with me, I'm going somewhere. And because the spirit world is the parent of the physical world, it is superior to the physical world in every way, shape and form. That's why you can be as physically gifted as you want to be. If just one demon, just one, okay, oppresses your life, it can send the most educated, the most brilliant of men, it can set that person back 50 years. It can make that person a vagabond on the earth because the spirit realm is always superior to the physical realm. Stay with me. The, the spirit realm births the spirit realm. So think about this. Parents, okay, you birth a child. And because the parents birth the child, there are a huge percentage, all right, a huge, a significant percentage of the attributes of that child comes from the parents. The way the child looks, the shape of his head, all right, the, the pigmentation of his skin, his personality even, 
his IQ, all right, his intellect, his mannerisms come from his parents or from his parents' parents or from his parents' parents' parents. In other words, the parent source would always have a strong signature on the child. So the spirit realm has a strong signature on the physical realm. So therefore, if the enemy seeks to do you harm, he's not going to come meet you on the streets of Ottawa and punch you in the gut and say, yes, now I've got you. No, no, no. He seeks to harm you from the spirit realm and of necessity, as a matter of fact, okay? <laughs> it's a law. What happens in the spirit realm would translate into the physical. So if the enemy wants to cause you a setback in your life, wants to take something from you, wants to, wants to rob you of something, he's not going to show up in your house with two horns and say, you know, now let's fight. I'm going to take your stuff. No, 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 no. He seems to, in, you know, to, to, to injure, to, 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 to do damage from the realm that is unseen and of necessity it will flow to the spirit realm. That tells me then that a lot of things that manifest in the physical realm have their source in the spirit realm. It might not happen the same day, might not happen the same month, might not even happen the same year, but a lot of things, not all the things, a lot of things have their source in the spirit realm. So when we talk about restoration, it's because there is an, a very active enemy who is very competent in the spirit realm. Whereas we are still novices in that area. Some of us, you know, we still say things like, well, you know, that's all superstition. You know, we don't really need to pray that much. You know, God is just a loving God. Listen, listen, listen to me. <laughs> the spirit realm is real. And through the spirit realm, people's lives can incur loss. Think about a man called Job. Everything that happened to Job was concluded in the spirit realm. Read the book of Job chapter 1. You, you would understand this better. I don't have time to go into that now. Everything that happened to Job was concluded in the spirit realm before it ever manifested in the physical. As a matter of fact, when it started to show up in the physical, it was a done deal. And this is why for us as Christians, we must become very competent in living in two worlds. In understanding the spiritual dimension, while other the Bible says you are in the world, you cannot be of the world. It doesn't just speak as to being of the world and the systems of the world. It also talks to being someone who lives in the spirit as opposed to just living in the flesh. It's extremely important that you get that. Amalek is a type of the enemy and the enemy seeks to, you know, to execute injury upon us from the spirit realm, which would by of necessity, it would translate and manifest in the physical realm. However, understand that even though the spirit world is parent, all right, to the seen world, not everything in the seen world has its source in the spirit world. I say a huge dimension does. So just like a child, there are other things in that child that the child will pick up by himself. Okay, some certain likes and hobbies and things that appetites that the child likes might not be from any of the parents, but the majority of the composition, the structural, physical, seen and unseen composition of that child usually come from his lineage somehow through, you know, genes and genetics and all that other stuff, all right? But there are other things that the child will pick up, which is just a few things along the way. And in the same way, there are things that you can cause, you know, you can cause yourself to lose certain things. That's what I'm trying to say. So while there is damage that comes from the spirit realm, you can also incur loss from the physical by carelessness, by error, just by ignorance in some cases, and so on and so forth. But guess what? I'm here to bring good news that God will restore all things that have been lost, whether by the enemy, whether spiritual, whether physical, whether by your hand or by your ignorance, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Can I press in? I, I'm not sure if I can. Can I, can I, can I press into this one a little bit? Oh, 
understand that the attack that Amalek brought against David um, was a strategic attack. Now, not every attack is strategic. It was a spiritual attack. I've said that already. Biblical typology, symbolisms and all that. But it was a strategic attack. And I'll tell you why it was strategic. For, for one reason. No, two reasons. Actually, no, three reasons. Three reasons why it was a strategic attack. The first reason why was because of the effect it had on David. What was the effect it had on David? The Bible says that David became weary. He cried. He wept until he had no more power to weep. He lost his strength. Now, when the enemy causes you to lose your strength, that's a strategic attack. Because the Bible says when you faint in the day of adversity, it's because your strength is small. I say this to us all the time. This is one of our favorite scriptures in our church. That means that when any attack comes against you, when the devil does something to you, when the enemy hits you in any way that causes you to lose spiritual strength, when you know that I'm just, sometimes you say, I'm just weak, I'm just weak. That is a strategic attack. The effect it had on David was the first giveaway that this was a strategic attack because anything that causes you to lose your strength has really exposed you. The second reason why I say this was a very strategic attack was because of the effects it had on David's men. Pay attention, David had a loyal band of people. David wasn't king yet. So these guys had no reason to ally themselves with him. But David had these guys who came and vowed that they would serve him and they would fight with him and they would make sure that he became king. They were loyal, 600 men, guys, 600 men. But look at the, the effect of this attack on the men of David. The Bible says that they wanted to stone him. This was the first time that there was rebellion in the camp of David because the enemy knew that if these guys, if these guys continue to be yoked to David, he will surely become king. He will fulfill his destiny. So I'm going to cause dissension in his ranks. And this is a, you know what? This is a conversation for leaders or leadership conversation for another day. That the enemy attacks you to, to separate you from certain key relationships of destiny. And the men who were helping him, the men who, who were, you know, helpers in war, all of a sudden loyal. These were the guys who would risk their lives for him. All of a sudden, the Bible says that they were so discouraged that they wanted to stone David. They wanted to kill him because their wives and their families had been taken away. And they started to wonder, why are we following this dude? Nothing but calamity has come upon us. What do we have to show? I mean, these men did not mind dying for David, but they did not want their families to be harmed because of David. Strategic attack. Strategic. It brought, it brought about almost a coup <laughs> in David's. I mean, the third reason why I said this was a strategic attack was because of the timing of the attack. Because if you would know and read further down, you realize that this attack came just at the cusp when David was about to become king. He'd been running around in the wilderness for years, over 10 years, running from Saul. And he was a few nights away from becoming king, according to the timeline of God. And the devil wanted his men to rise up against him, to kill him, to discourage him so that he would never ascend the throne. Sometimes when the enemy comes at you with vicious, you know, with vicious attacks, you need to understand that a breakthrough is around the corner that he's trying to deny you from. As a matter of fact, what he seems to have taken is a diversion. What he's really going after is to cause you to be separated from key relationships of destiny, is to cause your strength to fail you, and as a result, lose out on the main thing that God has for you in that season. This was a strategic attack of the enemy. So my first thing I want to say to one person, one person here is this, that the loss you suffered, the loss that you suffered wasn't the main loss. 
it was a diversion to take something else. The main objective was to take something more valuable from you. That's what the enemy is after. You need to be vigilant. Be vigilant. When you incur loss in one area that takes other things from you. For example, something happens to you and then you, it causes you to lose your faith. Ha. The enemy wasn't after what you lost. It was after the faith that was lost. When something happens to you, the enemy does something in your life and he causes you to lose your joy. He wasn't after that thing. He was after your joy. It was a diversion. It's a strategic attack and only discernment can allow you to see what the true plan, to see through the ruse and see what the true plan of the enemy is. I'm speaking directly to at least one person right now that the thing that you lost and you're grieving over, that wasn't the real attack. The real attack was something far more strategic, looks intangible, but far more strategic. The enemy is after something else. But guess what? When the enemy came and took the people away, the Bible says they killed no one. And that's why you need to give God praise because even when the enemy thinks he's doing you harm, God still has a way of preserving. They didn't kill anybody. They just took them away. The Bible says that God said to the enemy when he was going to attack Job, he says, do not touch his soul. Do not touch his soul. And of course, we know the end of the story of Job, that Job was restored. So what did David do? How did David attack this? How did David ta um, um, tackle this, this event of, of loss in his life? The first thing he did was that he immediately reversed the first attack of the enemy, which is the loss of strength. The Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord. Oh God. There are times when you would have nobody to strengthen you in the Lord. You must dig deep, all right, into the reservoirs of your relationship with God to restore strength to yourself. When your strength is gone, you are vulnerable. You are vu the first thing he did, David was swift, swift to action. He realized what was happening. He was weary. He'd cried till he had no more power to weep. His guys were crying. They now started to talk about stoning him. And in that moment, he said, the Bible says he turned the tables by strengthening himself in the Lord. Sometimes when we suffer loss, and I know that we are overwhelmed by emotions. I know that it's hard. I know that we are saying, oh God, why me? I've been looking for a job for six months. I've lost time. And what happens is that your strength starts to fail. Hmm. Your strength starts to fail. Your strength starts to fail. And as, as once your strength is failing, you're becoming more and more vulnerable, more and more. It was critical, critical for David that he did not wallow in that moment. He immediately turned the tables and said, no, the Bible says he strengthened. Another translation says he encouraged himself in the Lord. He did. He, he stood up from a place of tears. For some of us, we had cried for seven weeks over spilled milk. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Okay. This is good. Okay. Get this part. The Bible says that God is spirit. That's what the Bible says. John chapter four, verse 24. God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But I'm interested in the first part. God is spirit. God is spirit. There, there are far reaching implications to that simple sentence. God is spirit. The first implication is the fact that number one, God, because God is spirit, he's not soulish, not soulish. He's not driven by emotions. Primarily, he understands emotions. He feels compassion. He has emotions because the Bible tells us that God can be angry. God can be pleased. Uh, he can show compassion, but God is not primarily moved by our emotions. And so therefore, because God is spirit, if you're going to relate with God who is spirit or a spirit, you must understand spiritual things. And one of the things you must understand, maybe I'll do a teaching about spirit, understanding spiritual things sometime next year, not this year, next year, is the fact that 
Emotions don't move God. God operates by spiritual principles. And what, what rules in the spirit realm is what we call laws and principles. So when things happen to us, God is impacted. God is full of compassion. And we cry and we cry and we do it for three weeks and for four weeks and for five weeks. And God really feels compassion for you because he does love you. But God is saying, I'm spirit. I walk by laws. I walk by principles. Give me something I can work with. Give me something that I can work with. So, a top, uh, you know, just, oh God, you, 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 the days of crying don't change anything with God. They don't. If you're not uttering prayers, and I'm not talking about the kind of prayers where, you know, you're accusing God. No, no, no. I'm talking about switching, turning the tables, strengthening yourself in the Lord so that you can inquire of the Lord. Because that was the second thing that David did. When you are losing strength, gain your strength so that you can approach God who is a spirit. And the Bible calls him the father of spirits on the platform of spiritual principles. Your strength will fail. You know, the Bible says that the 200 men, when they went, when they were going back after, you know, <laughs> to, 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 to pursue the army of the Amalekites, the Bible says 200 out of 600 were too weary to go. This wasn't physical strength that failed. This was an emotional drain. There's a a place, and I've been there, I can tell you this. There's a place you get to when you've been battered by the enemy that you you know you've lost strength. You know you've lost strength when you cannot pray on an issue anymore. You've lost strength. You know know you've lost strength when you have no hope, no hope, you know, (laughs) on the issue anymore. You've lost strength. You've lost strength. When you've lost the strength to fight, you can't pray. You've lost strength. And sometimes the Bible says you have to strengthen yourself in the Lord for you to get restoration. Tears don't bring restoration. There must be an approach by spiritual principles. How can you possibly be tired when your whole family has been taken captive? 200 men, they were too tired to go. But guess what? That's what the enemy does when you've been beaten down. You just put your hands down and you take all the blows. You're like, I'm done. I'm done. I can't pray about this issue anymore. There's nothing else I can do because I'm overwhelmed. You're emotionally tired. That is why strength is needed. If you must pursue, if you must overtake, and if you must recover, all strength is needed. And it's not easy. It's not easy. I, I remember a season of my life where I'd been through hell. I mean, I was discouraged on a certain matter. And I knew I was, I knew my strength had failed because I couldn't pray about it anymore. I really could not, not, not that I, I didn't want to, I wanted to, I just couldn't. I couldn't get myself to a place of praying because I just thought this is a hopeless issue. There's nothing I can do about this. There's nothing. I felt defeated, defeated. I remember calling a friend of mine and saying, you know what? I need help. This, this, this stuff has, has defeated me. You know, all I could do, we say, you know what? We're going to pray for 10 minutes every day in the spirit, just 10 minutes. That's literally all I could pray about that issue 10 minutes because my strength had left me and after some time I started to feel my strength return back to me feel my strength return back you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord in the Lord turn the corner so discard your emotions in the moment I'm not saying don't cry I'm not saying don't feel bad I'm not saying don't have those emotions I'm saying have them but realize that they're not going to help you get results know when to park them and go to God and approach God about the issue because the next thing that David did was the Bible says he told Abiathar the priest bring me the effort let me ask God 
let me seek the face of God. And he says, God, shall I pursue this truth? I mean, what a gangster. Can, shall I, can you give me an assurance that I would get this thing back? And the Bible says, God gave him a word. Pursue, overtake, without fail. You must recover everything. A thousand gallons of tears, all right, would get you less than three sentences of heartfelt prayer. Because sometimes we mistake our emotions for prayer. But God is spirit. God is not a soulish being. He is spirit. Emotions are not the primary way with which we get God to move. No, it's by principles and by laws. Remember a guy in the Bible called Hezekiah? You find his story in Isaiah 38. The Bible says that God sends Isaiah the prophet to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was sick. He was a king, by the way. And God says, Isaiah, tell him that he should put his house in order because he will surely die. Isaiah is a man of God. He was the guy who gave us majority of the Messianic prophecies. So he was a man of God, a real prophet. He came and told the king, by the way, the Lord says, put your house in order. You're not going to recover from this sickness. You will surely die. And the Bible says Isaiah leaves and Hezekiah turns himself to the wall and starts to talk to the Lord and says, no, remember my service, O God. Remember my days of faithfulness. Who would serve you? And after he does that, when he's done talking to the Lord, he cries. That's the right order. Okay, he's talked to God. Then he weeps bitterly. And the Bible says, the Bible, God says, I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. But some of us, all we have to offer is the tears. And God says, no, that's not enough. God wants you to offer something, you know, offer up something. The Bible says that the prayers of the saints are like incense going up to the Lord. Let's offer up something that God, God is saying, give me something that I can work with. So I wonder about those issues in your life, those issues that need restoration. What have you offered to God? Have you offered prayer? Have you gone to him or all you've offered so far is the emotional aspect? There is a protocol for spiritual things, laws and principles. And the third thing that happened, of course, so he strengthened himself. He sought the Lord. And the third thing was that he pursued. So when you, when you talk about restoration, there's a prayer to God because God is the one that restores. But there is a role on your part. The Bible says, God said to him, now pursue, go, overtake, and without fail, you will recover everything. Listen to me, friends. Listen to me, friends. God is a restorer. Oh, yeah. God specializes in restoration. He is a restorer. One, one thing that's the most difficult thing to restore, as far as I'm concerned, is time. Because time is something that is finite. Once you lose 10 minutes, the past 10 seconds of your life that you just spent, you can never get that back. It's gone. It's gone. But when God talks about restoration in the book of Joel chapter 2 and verse 25, God says, look, I will restore to you the years, the years. If the most complicated thing to restore, which is time, God can restore time, then God is an expert at restoring things. And God says, I will restore to you whatever you've lost in this COVID season, whatever the enemy has taken from you. He's taking your health. He's taking your peace, taking your joy taking your gift, anything that you've lost by your own hands, by the hands of the enemy, God says, I will restore. Joel 2 and verse 24, I'll restore to you the years, years that the swarming locust has eaten. Now, this is amazing because I thought that locust eat grass and eat greenery. All right. But God says that what the locust actually does is that locust steals years. So what, what happens is when the locust comes at the time of harvest, the locust is a destructive pest. It consumes the entire thing. They come in swarms, all right? What you've lost is not just the harvest. What you've lost is time because guess what? The time you planted the seed, the time of cultivation, waiting, God help you if it's a, 
one of those crops that takes seven years, okay, or long amounts of time to produce fruit. And the, the locust waits till the day of harvest comes, the season of harvest, it comes and devours everything. So you've not just lost the harvest, you've lost time. And there's certain things in our life that have happened to us that we've lost time. We've lost time. You, you, you know, you've been looking for a job for two years. You've lost time. You've lost time. You've lost time. You've been applying for a long time. You've lost time. You've lost time. In ministry, you should, you should have been in a certain place in your walk with God. God is expecting that by now you'll be raising the dead, but you're still here dealing with migraines. You've lost time because it takes time to do spiritual, you know, gravitas. It takes time. You've lost time. You've lost time. There are lots of things that we've lost that are time based. And God says, I will restore to you. I will restore. God will. God will restore. God will restore. Anything that consumes your harvest, God will restore. The last thing I want to say to you is this, is that God does not restore you to where you think you should be. Pay attention. When something leaves your life for any number of reasons and God wants to restore, God will not restore you back to where you think you should be. Because a lot of times what happens, this is how we think, okay? And let me know if you think this way. Let's assume, I just want to take an example that your career, let's use your career as an example, because a lot of people can relate with that one. So you graduate from university and you, you, you know, you know that there is a career trajectory for you. You know, in two years you should be this, in two years you should be here, four years you should be manager, blah, blah, blah. And for any reason, you get set back. So you spend a couple of years looking for a job. You don't even find a job in your field for a long time. Right? So you've lost time. Now, when you're praying to God for restoration today, as you're, you're probably thinking in your mind, well, all my mates are now here. So restoration is God bring me here. I'm behind. Ha. But guess what? God does not judge where you should be based on where your mates are. When God restores, he restores you based on his calendar because he has a unique plan for your life. And so when God will restore David, David never goes back to live in Ziklag. He goes back there, but not to live. He only spends two nights in Ziklag because Ziklag was burnt. There's some things that the enemy, and I'm saying this to you, listen to me, that there's someone here. Some of the things that you are mourning over that the enemy has taken from you, all right, those are things that, as far as God is concerned, he's not going to restore that. He's going to restore something else. But you are fixated on what you lost. So you're not recognizing the restoration that is happening in this season. God is saying to you, open your eyes, open the eyes of your spirit and see what I'm doing. Because David was meant to become king. A couple of days after this was done, he moved from Ziklag, he moved to the throne. He had to become king. He had to become king. True restoration is not recovery of what you lost alone. It's a recovery to where God will have you be. There is a place in the heart of God, in the timetable of God, where you ought to be now in this season of your life. And when God restores you, he restores you. He takes you and he shoots you to the place that he has ordained for you. And sometimes it might look nothing like where you ought to be. A lot of times, actually, it's farther ahead than you thought you ought to be. There is a reason why Ziklag was burnt and the people were not killed. God needed him to, to restore the people to him, his family, his belonging, his property, his sheep, everything. But God <laughs> was not going to restore him to Ziklag. No, no, he had to be king. And for some of you right now, there is a throne waiting for you. You have to be king. And you're busy crying over Ziklag. Busy crying over Ziklag. There's somebody, by the way, uh, I was praying you know, preparing for the service, Lord was telling me about a particular person who you often have dreams in which someone comes to take from you. 
in your dreams, more than once. Uh, some of the dreams you've forgotten, but you remember right now as I'm speaking to you. Someone comes and takes something from you. You know that it's something that belongs to you and goes away. It's happened more than once. All right. We've dealt with that issue. Okay, so there's going to be restoration. God will restore. Um, and you will have another dream. And you would find this person would come back to you and give you something grudgingly, grudgingly. All right. Not, not of their own accord. Something has happened in the spirit realm that has shifted things on your behalf. There's restoration coming to you. And I want to congratulate you um, if you're that person. God is mindful of you. God is very, very, very mindful of you. But for somebody else, God says to me, to you that allow me to restore the way I do, the way I, the way I do it. You're, you're fixated on something. God is saying, no, 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 that's not what I'm doing. I'm going to restore you, but what you lost exactly is not, that's not exactly what you need. I have something else that's better for you. But remember this. Let's make this Christocentric because Jesus is our message, all right? What Jesus does is restore. Because the Bible says all have sinned, Romans 3 and verse 23, and fallen short. We've lost the glory of God. That's what man lost. We lost the glory of God. We lost the dominion that we had in the Garden of Eden. And why Jesus came was to restore us to that place of glory, restore us to that place of sonship, restore us to that place of relationship with the Father. So the, 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 the heart of the person of Jesus is the restoration agenda to restore a people back to God, to restore the most valuable thing you lost, which is relationship with God, fellowship with God. Jesus came to restore because he said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. So he came to restore relationship to God. Of everything you will ever lose, everything you may or have the potential to lose, the worst thing you can ever lose is your relationship with God. And that's what Jesus restores. He is the authority also by which we can pursue restoration. So today we're going to pray. We're going to pray in the name of Jesus because now we have a relationship with, with the Father through Him, that everything that has been lost should come back and be restored to us. We're going to pursue, we're going to overtake, and you, all of you, without fail, you will recover everything that you have lost. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, Download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.